I think always for the last 20 plus years, whether it's an event or a book, I try to leave people with the impression of, well, that was fun. And I can do that. Men have said this to me for years. Well, I can do that as if responding to the other things they couldn't do. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Artist Spousing Podcast. We're so grateful and humbled that you would take a listen. And we don't take it lightly that you would spend your precious time joining us for the show. Yeah, we trust that you've had a great week. Ours has been full, to say the least. I can't believe that we're already at the end of January. This month has totally flown by. James Duvall, I'm already in May. My brain is in May, so I am not surprised that January has flown by. That's incredible. We're excited about today's show. We have a good friend, Ted Lowe, with us. Ted is a speaker, blogger, and the director of Married People, the Marriage Division of Orange, a nonprofit organization devoted to influencing those who influence the next generation. Ted is also the author of a new marriage book, Us in Mind, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. It is a great book with great insights on how happy married couples think differently than couples who struggle. That's right. I love it. But before we get there, we want to make sure you know about the Marriage Reboot Retreat. This is a two-day intensive with Lisa and I, where we focus on defining the purpose and vision for your marriage. If you want a greater connection with your spouse, if you are tired of feeling stuck in the same old, same old, if you desire to feel the thrill of fun and discovery again, like you did when you first met, we can help. We support couples to reconnect, recharge, and re-engage to pursue their life purpose together. The Marriage Reboot Retreat by Marry for a Purpose is a private intensive experience for you and your spouse, working exclusively with Lisa and I for two consecutive full days. At the end of the two days, you will walk away with a unified purpose for your marriage and a holistic vision for your marriage and family, supported with a real action plan. If you would like to find out more information about the Marriage Reboot Retreat, you can set up a discovery call with James and I, and we will tell you more about it. You can schedule that call with us with the link in the show notes or go online at artofspousing.com backslash coaching. Ted, it's so great to see you and so great to have you on the podcast. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Man, we've enjoyed just getting to know you over the years and just watching your ministry and how you're investing in married people. And we're excited tonight to talk to you about your new book, Us in Mind, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. Love it. And, uh, you know, this is your third book. And I just want you to know that we're big fans. Yeah, we are. Your first two books, Your Best Us and Married People that you co-wrote with Doug Fields, they've been so instrumental in Lisa and I's approach to marriage ministry and to uh, how we view healthy marriage and how to build in the healthy marriage. So I just want to say from the two of us, thank you so much for the work you've done in the marriage space with married people and writing these books and, and really personally for your investment in us. Oh, well, right back at you guys. I'm telling you, it's it's great to have friends in this world because, it could, you know, speaking and writing can be a little isolating, right? And so it's so great to have people in this space like you guys that are co-champion that we're both going after the same thing. We just want to help couples. And um, just every time I'm with you guys, I am encouraged just to keep going. And I was thrilled that you guys started this podcast. I was like, yes, because we pulled the plug on ours. And I was like, yes, this is where I'll point people to because ours, uh, I don't know what's going to happen to it, but it is so such an honor to be with you guys. I love why you help married couples, but how you help mm-hmm. married couples. It's really strong. And I 
Thank you for having me. You know, I love, James, all your words about his books, because that is a kind way of saying thank you for letting us steal every good thing that we've done in married ministry and apply it. And so, but just so you know, that is a compliment. It's the highest form of compliment. And we do actually attach your name to everything. But in addition, you know, you have, whether our our church, Christ Fellowship, knows it or not, you've made a big investment through those books, um, an investment in our lives. But additionally, you've come and personally invested in marriages in Palm Beach County and it really makes a difference. We're reducing the divorce rate and you helped us take it down a notch or two. So thank you so much. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, tell us a little bit about the genesis of your new book, Us in Mind, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. Why did you write this book? James and Lisa, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I did not want to write another book. When I was finished with the last one, I was like, that's that's it. You know, one for churches, one for couples. I'm 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 good. <laughs> Uh, because, and I say this often, but I had ADHD long before it was cool to have it. And so for me, writing a book is the equivalent of lassoing squirrels and then telling them to sit still. That's what it feels like for me. And so, but I had a little extra time on my hands during 2020 for some reason. And there's a couple of questions that I don't know the answer to, and it bothers me. So I'm going to use some of this off time to get the answer to these questions. One of them was, and you guys experienced this as well. Why is it that some couples will come to your event, Caliente, which I, I love. Did I say that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. By the way, it's the greatest marriage event in the history of the world. So <laughs> fun. But why is it that some couples will come to that event and they'll hear something and they'll take what they've heard and they'll apply it and they'll change their marriage while other people come in and they'll hear it and they'll just walk away and didn't mm. do anything. Or you guys have experienced this too. People say, I want to come talk to you. So they come to talk to you and some of them are leaning in and they're asking questions. And then sometimes you have couples that just come in and they're just, they just want to tell you why the, their spouse is so awful and they go back and forth. And yeah. if you offer something, they're like, they don't listen. So I thought, what's the difference between those two couples? And it turns out the answer came from asking the question, what do couples that are really doing great, what are they doing? Yeah, And it all kind of landed on this place that at the end of the day, when it comes to your marriage, that your thoughts matter most. And this was something I thought, wow, I don't, I think thinking is the thing we're not thinking about, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, we listen to our automatic thoughts, like they're automatically true and automatically helpful. And I thought, wow, I think this really, really applies to marriage. And the more I dove in, the more I went, wow, to the point where I think I've got, I think I need to write another book on this. I really don't want to, but I really felt it was obedience at that point to go, okay, let's buckle in again. Let's do this ride of writing a book again. And I'm glad I did. It's been fun as I've taught this content live to have conversation with people afterwards. It's been some of the most rewarding conversations I've ever had. Even Nancy said to me, she said, babe, this stuff is just different. She goes, you've always been able to give some people things to think about and to apply. She goes, but this is just hitting people on a different level. And so that's been really, really fun and rewarding to watch that happen. I'm excited about it. Well, I'm glad never, you're never going to write a book again, didn't work out for you. You talked about there's a lot of research around unhealthy marriages. And then you propose this idea of looking at healthy marriages in the book. You specifically mentioned this idea of athletes. No trainer or no coach looks at the athletes that are really bad 
right. and decides what are we going to do to be a great athlete? Yeah. Like we're going to frame our whole life around what a bad athlete looks like and what they're doing wrong. And this really champions the thing that James, you and I talk about often is we want to be purpose focused, not problem focused. Right. And so I love that this idea of researching around what are healthy marriages doing, what's happening in healthy marriages. Can you share some of the more significant discoveries you found around healthy marriages and what they have in common? They did a huge study in the United States and the United Kingdom, and it was a group of psychologists that I think this was about 15 years ago. All the research at that point had been done just on couples that were struggling. And so they again, they asked the question you just talked about, what what if it's different? So they did a massive study in the United States, the United Kingdom, and they came back and they said our hunch was correct. A great marriage is not the opposite of one that's struggling it's different. And one of the key findings that I think speaks loud and clear was people were asked to give their spouse kind of like a spousal report card, and they would rank them on characteristics like kindness and generosity and patience. And what they found, the couples that were the happiest were the ones who ranked their spouse higher in every single category than their spouse had ranked themselves. Oh, wow. And I like to think, hey, this is two people that are sitting there thinking about each other. I just wish you could see you like I see you. And I thought that was so powerful. I really got geeked out on neuroscience with this whole thing. They did a huge study on couples who reported being madly in love after an average of 21 years. So these were long-term couples. And there's three areas of their brain that had similar activity. Mm. And one of them was the area of the brain that's responsible for a thing they called positive illusions. And it's the ability to focus on what you love about your spouse and not focus on what you don't. And I thought, this is so powerful and it explains so much. At the same time, I thought, well, people are going to hear this. Some people are going to go, well, this is just scientific evidence of why we're crushing it. But then I thought about the couple that reads that and going, wait a minute, I don't, we don't rank each other like this. Like, how does that work? And the great news, I think for all of us, and this is true in every area of our life, is we can shift our thinking to start thinking in a, in a way that's more geared towards how, how I feel God wants us to love each other. I think people are fearful to go, wait a minute, is this talk about living in denial? Are, not at all. I mean, not at all. The first, you know, the first lens is through the lens of truth, right? And so it's been so fun watching people go, oh, I can change my thoughts too. Even if I consider myself a, a pessimist or a realist, I can still look at this thing in a, in a healthier way. So how does a couple begin to actually change their thoughts? Well, you guys, it was so funny. I'm getting into the middle of the process of the book and finding all this stuff. And then when it started to boil down to it, I started uh, seeing that just a few guiding thoughts or what I call intentional thoughts can make a really big difference in other areas. And then I started to think, wait a minute, am I getting into something new age? You know, as a, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody that's been working with churches all these years, I thought, you know, I want to be careful what I'm doing here. And then you start looking at scripture and scripture is so clear about not letting our mind run on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And somehow I missed that. I was taught in youth group, you know, we we need to keep our thoughts pure sexually, but that's kind of where it stopped. The rest of my thoughts, supposedly I could believe and follow uh, my quote unquote gut. And then at the end of the day, we don't have to do that. So when we say, how do we begin? One of the things that has surprised me the most about this, which was so funny because I was a little bit hesitant to even put it in the book, was I asked five questions. And the first question I ask is, what do you think about yourself? Because what you think about yourself will determine how you 
treat yourself and who you are and your level in many ways, your level of anxiety, uh, your, your level of comfort, your level of peace. And I want to challenge people say, what are you, what are you believing? And I call him Fred in my head. And so I kind of tease, I've always laughed with Nancy that I've got that guy in my head named Fred and Fred's a jerk. And Fred says these things to me that, that that's mean and hateful. And Fred's a, a fortune teller <laughs> and he's a mind reader. And so I just, started doing the research. I find, found out that I'm not the only person with a Fred in their head. And then when I've taught this material, that in and of itself has just blown me away how people have responded to the idea of Fred. And, you know, the scariest thing about this is that Fred can become louder than the voice of God. And that's got to break his heart, right? Yeah. If we're listening to Fred more than the father, that's that's got to break the father's heart. Right. And so that's been one of the things. And I think, you know, it, it determines how we're talking to ourselves and thinking about ourselves. I really there's an exercise in there. And this exercise is actually it's been proven to work for the last 30 plus years. It's just no one knows about it. And I just did my goofball Ted version of it. But then it's, um, and then added scripture to the end of it. Say, hey, don't just talk about yourself. What would your Abba Father say to you? Mm. And so it's been so fun watching this little simple exercise really set some folks free, me included. Like yeah. it's really changed my life. And I want more than anything for people to start hearing more from the Father and way less from Fred. Mm, I love awesome. it. I love it. You know, I love that idea of like taking captive your thoughts. When you think about that, you think about everything, but how you think about your spouse, you know, of like yeah. how you allow things to happen. I, of course, sat with a lot of women on the other side, maybe not always with couples. And that is the case that they're rehearsing that or what they're believing to be true. And then they will actually gather facts and data in and around that. Whatever you're thinking negative about your spouse you actually yeah. will gather data from people, even maybe a sermon on Sunday. Yeah. You will actually even capture that and like fuel your negative thinking, which is not at all what God is saying about it. Yeah, yeah. We often say too, you know, that, and it's proven in the Bible that we, we are what we think, right? We gravitate mm. towards what we contemplate. Our lives move in the direction of our greatest thoughts. I think what you said there is that if that friend in your head is the loudest voice, it's going to control your thinking. The other thing I love about what you said there is, is you start with yourself. It's putting a circle around yourself and work on everybody in the circle. circle before you start trying to work on each other. And so I think that's really powerful. It's been funny. I've asked people to name their Fred and uh, it's been very fun online. You know, I've gotten the normal ones like I've gotten a Greg and a Hillary. And but the other day after at a marriage conference, this lady comes up to me. She goes, mine's named Suge Avery from the color purple. And I went, that for sure is the best name. It's so that's, but yeah, it's been really fun. And Lisa, to your point, the brain is wired to seek pattern. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things I discovered is it's wired to seek pattern, you know, and you, what you described as confirmation bias, you know, which is you interpret new information to be what you already think you know, I just simplified that and just in the book say you find what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody says, well, my husband is so lazy. They only see the naps and not the 10 hour work days or she's such a nag and they only hear the nagging and not the tender and encouraging words. Mm -hmm. And so the same can be true from the positive view of this. And this is why I always always push people towards Philippians 4, 8 and keep a keep a notepad with just, you know, or on your phone or in your computer 
you know, take Philippians 4, 8 and run them through the whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy. And I love this last part of the verse. It says, if anything is praiseworthy, anything, then focus on those things. The thing I love about that verse is it starts with truth. So if someone's being emotionally or physically abused, the truth of that is that is not okay. It needs to be handled, be dealt with, and can never be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God's never wanting people to live in denial there. But it also, for most of us, it's not that extreme. And we start f- being able to focus on what is true about our spouse. Yeah, And it, then the list just goes on from there. And it just really gears our brain in a different way because there's a season, and I talk about this in the book, but there was a, a season that I was personally struggling. Our first five years of marriage were in Southern California, which I highly recommend. You know, it's got the same climate <laughs> as you guys. Yeah. But after five years, you know, we moved back to the Atlanta area and we didn't know anybody. Our families were close, but they were a couple hours away. And so I was missing, I was missing the weather. I was missing my friends. I was missing my job. I was missing everything. And I remember being outside one day mowing the grass and I had this thought. I thought, you know what? I'm not sure that I really wanted to move here. I think maybe Nancy convinced me that I did. In fact, I think maybe Nancy always gets what she wants. And I say this with zero humor and for Mm -hmm. sure zero pride. I said, I think she's manipulative. Wow. Now, when you hang that banner over your spouse, what do you, how do you think I treated her when I walked into the house? Now, granted, I'm a nice guy. I mean, I'm sure I stuffed it all down. It would, if it'd been on video, no one would have been shock and all. But you, do you think that that thought led to us getting closer or farther apart? Mm. And so I started looking for the ways I thought she was manipulative. And then I thought, Man, I wish somebody who had pulled up on that day when I was mowing and melting in Georgia and said, come here a minute. Let's let's talk about what's true. What's true is you both decided to move here. Yeah. Right. Well, what's noble? I'd say what's noble is she moved across country when she was 23 years old and moved into your world for five years. Now, you've been here back for a couple of months and now she's manipulative. Yeah. Right. And so it's just this lens and you start gearing your thoughts to go, you know what? And because that's what happy couples are already doing. Yeah. Happy couples are always already thinking this way. But if we're not geared this way, this is what's so great about this verse is it it keeps us there or gets us there uh, in a way that I don't think we can get there on our own. I don't think our automatic thoughts are ever going to just land at Philippians 4 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to stick there for a second because one of the things that we do when we're coaching couples is that we always challenge them three things to see the best, speak the best, and believe the best. And I think you you hit on so many things there that it's easy to to not do that, especially when a couple is maybe struggling to have wrong beliefs or seeing things wrong, like you just said. But you mentioned a tool that I thought was so profound because it was so simple. When I was reading the book, I was just like, oh, that's such a profound tool. And you you hit on it quickly, but I'd love for you just to unpack how to use it. It's You call it the Philippians 4-8 filter. Right. Right. And it's at the, what I do is in the book, I give people five intentional thoughts and I knew they had to be really quick. And I tried them out on live audiences and I could tell I would make them repeat back. And so I probably did three retreats in a row until I could get them to repeat it back without. So they're so simple. But for this one, it comes to seeing your spouse is see the best. Yeah. And just like you guys are saying, it's just in that moment, you know, you're frustrated, you're angry with them before you send that text or before any of that, that you pause. Okay. In this moment, I'm going to see, I'm going to see the best. If they come in, they're exhausted, they're grouchy. Okay. I'm going to see the best 
they're tired. They've been working hard. And it's not that you stop having conversations. It's just you care more about your spouse than the topic. Mm. You know, I find couples only talk about frustrating things when they're in the middle of frustrating things. They only talk about sex when the offer's been declined. They only talk about the finances when they go, who told you you could spend money on this? You know, they only talk about parenting when they feel like the other spouse is not doing it well. Right. Their bodies and their brains are not set up to win. Mm. But when we pull back, see the best. And gear up, we can start posturing our brains and our hearts to love the way God wants us to love, right? Right. So I just encourage people to see the best and then just take Philippians 4 8. You just write those words right on the on the left. You whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. And then you just fill in those things and you keep adding to those things. I'm sure it's a mutual hero of all of us talking on this podcast right now is Gary Smalley. Right. Yeah. And Gary Smalley, you know, championed marriages for for decades. And one of the things he would do, he had a, what he called an honor book for his wife, Norma. Mm-hmm. And so he would just write down constantly all the things he loved about her. And he said when he would have a tough conversation with her, he would go read the honor book first. But it's just it's just about posturing yeah. us to think in the way that we think they should be thinking about us. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love that. I so love that. it. I love it. One of the five intentional thoughts is to choose empathy. I know this has been so powerful to James and I. We talk a lot about Enneagram and James is an eight, which is very assertive. I'm a two. I'm a helper. So empathy is there with James. It's probably not a utilized tool as much as... It's a buried treasure. (laughs) (laughs) It's a buried buried treasure. treasure. It's hard to find. (laughs) I love that. So far, I've heard not a utilized tool and a buried Buried treasure. treasure. I love that. I love that. Thanks for keeping it real, folks. I love it. So you would say it's... you have empathy, but yeah, you just have, I don't leverage it. You don't leverage it. And the truth is when I see James in our marriage relationship and because we serve in leadership and I'm in environments where I see him leading others, I can see when he's actually leveraging it with me specifically in our marriage, I can tell he's restraining. He's looking for emotional connection with me. And so I truly actually have empathy for him in that moment of him trying to find empathy and language mm-hmm. around it. So my expectation as a two, I'm high highly empathetic. I sense and see things and feel things. I can cry with someone in seconds, you know, if they're going through a hard time, but I don't expect that same thing from him to me. Have empathy that he's different than me, but I also just, I appreciate when he goes there, when I can see his attempt. So I just have empathy for him struggling to find empathy. Does that make sense? Yes. I love it. I love it. And I think that's a great thing, Lisa. And it's stereotypical. It's not always the case, but men typically struggle with this more than women uh, because we're, we're, we tend to be fixers. You know, we, we see emotional distress and we want to fix it with logic, which does not fix it. Right. Uh, And it's the same train. We keep getting ran over, over with over and over. And you know, at first of our marriage, I would, our fights would start with Nancy sharing something tough with me. And then I would say, um, uh, you know, I would start giving her advice about how she could fix it. And then she would get frustrated and be like, well, she doesn't respect my opinions. Yeah. And so I made her emotions about me until finally one day she said, I don't want you to fix it. I want you to feel it. Uh, and I wish I had had this moment where I'd went, I could say I went, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been missing that emotionally. I think I probably either said or at least thought, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But what the research reveals is that Nancy is 100% correct. There's a book called How to Improve Your Mirrors Without Talking About It. One of the studies that they've done is that women and some men, if they're standing in an emotional puddle, they want their husbands to step into the emotional puddle and men want to yank them out with advice. Mm. 
why four wet feet are the answer to two wet feet makes no sense to my male brain. But yeah. I'm telling you, this would probably be the chapter for us that I was probably the worst at going into the book. I thought I was better at it than I was. And then I start realizing when I'm getting into it and going, oh, no, I'm still trying to fix her quite often. She's just gotten better at not caring that I'm trying to fix her. And so we give a couple of power phrases, but the most powerful phrase at our house of empathy is that's understandable. Yeah. Mm. And another one we use a lot is if I were you, I'd feel the same way. Oh, that's good. Mm, I love it. Those are great. You know, if I were you, I'd feel the same way. So she she's way neater than I am. And so if there's a mess in the kitchen that the kids have left, it upsets her. You know, doesn't upset me. But I can look at her and go, hey, if I were you, I'd feel the same way. And, you know, empathy is all about seeing something from someone else's point of view, right? Yeah. But our, you know, we walk in their shoes. The problem is their shoes are not our size and they're not our style. And so it feels awkward. But it's just so much simpler. That's the thing with empathy. I'm going, okay, the opposite of that is trying to talk somebody out of their emotions. Yeah. You know, it's classic. You just need to calm down. Well, never in the history of marriage has that phrase been a good <laughs> idea, right? But we keep going after it, don't we? But it's like it's the thing. It's it's so simple. And so this was one of these things we've discovered over the last couple of years that I'm half excited about it because it works so well and half mad at myself that it's taken me this long. This is why you guys do podcasts, right? That's why we all do what we do is we're a shortcut people for yeah. making our mistakes. Yeah. That's right. We had somebody that, that picked us up at the airport to speak at this event. And he actually listened to the message. And then when he was taking us back to the airport, he said, man, I got to tell you something. I said, okay. And I talked about this principle. He said, I came in after work that night and saw my wife, which she was all upset about something at work and going on. And he goes, I typically try to, you know, calm her down or whatever. And he said, I looked at her and said, if I were you, I'd feel the same way. And he goes, it worked. <laughs> and I was like, touchdown. Yeah. And so that's the thing. I love giving people like little things. And it yeah. is simpler. You know, it is so much simpler. But yeah, that's been one that's been so huge for us. Yeah. Great, great tools. Yeah. I love the thought is that you can choose empathy. Mm-hmm. And like for myself, who empathy is not natural to me like it is Lisa. I went through a process several years ago where I had to actually build the skill of empathy. And, mm-hmm. you know, that those two statements that you said are ways that you can build that skill, even if it's not natural to you to be able to say, oh, I see how you feel, or I hear you. For me, it really helped me with Lisa with empathy. Being empathetic to Lisa was having to work on it in all my life and just be able to look in her face and be able to see when emotions change or just to slow down. And it is a skill that you can develop so that when I was reading that chapter on this, like, oh, this is so powerful and so important for marriages because so many couples are not empathetic towards one another. And it is a skill. Even if only one person in the marriage is not strong in the area that they can develop and choose empathy. You know, it makes me think women do tend, it's not always gender specific, but women do tend to be more empathetic. But as James and I were discussing this in this chapter in particular, I think women, and I can speak for myself and counseling with, processing with women, sometimes we have an easier time being empathetic with our girlfriends than we do with our spouses. I'm challenged by that because I can go there quickly, especially as a strong, assertive man that I'm married to. I'm trying to connect with him empathetically And so it takes work for me. And so I think that we need to challenge ourselves just because we're women and we may be more empathetic or it may come natural to us. I think it does come natural a lot in our relationships if we're not careful besides our significant husbands. So just a challenge to women out there. That's good. And Nancy would say she's a fixer too. She's more stereotypical, like a guy in that way. And it's been very helpful for us. Like I was traveling a couple of weekends ago and that followed Monday, I was just exhausted. And she could tell something was a little off and she goes, how you doing? And I said, 
you know what? I'm just really exhausted. And to be honest, I'm a little depressed. And she goes, that's understandable. And I thought, that's all I needed. Like, yeah. I'll be fine tomorrow. But today I need to not try to fix anything. Like, I, I love it. Like the fact that I'm exhausted and a little depressed, that's understandable. Like I don't need to fix things, change. And I thought, oh, wow, this must be what she wants all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, I really felt it in that moment. But James, you, you point out a skill too. It is something that we can learn. And thank goodness, right? And nobody teaches us this stuff. Yeah. That's my whole thing is like people, <laughs> married people beat themselves up, but no one's taught us how to do this. This is why I love you guys doing the podcast. You're going, wow. I mean, we just, we're supposed to just say I do. And boy, hope that goes well. I, I think the good news is the tools are pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I think we've been convinced that marriage is so complicated. Not, not really. Actually, the wrong way is really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. yeah. It leads to very complicated moments. And the right way is, oh, it's kind of simple. It's some of those things that you're just like going, really? You're like, yeah. yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons why we wanted you on the podcast is we do want to resource our listeners because there's things we don't know what we don't know and what we don't know can hurt us. <laughs> so mm. we want our listeners to pick up your book, Us in Mind, and grow in this area of what they're thinking about. So what would be your ultimate hope for a married couple when they finish reading Us in Mind? You know, I think always for the last 20 plus years, whether it's an event or a book, I try to leave people with the impression of, well, that was fun. And I can do that. Men have said this to me for years. Well, I can do that as if responding to the other things they couldn't do. They're like, well, if that's it, I can do that. And so, but I also want the ride to be fun because I think if it's the ride's not fun, who wants to go on it? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Nobody goes to the boring ride. So Um, I think just one of them to get to the end of this thing and say, I could do that. So there's five thoughts. And even if they just pick one, you know, the longest thought is three words in a row. And the shortest one is one word in a row. So I'm even saying just pick one and work on it a little bit. Like if you are quick to the trigger emotionally and you're kind of a fighter, yours might be pause. Or if you tend to be a fixer, yours might be choose empathy. Or you may be brutal on yourself, which has been the case for me for so long. You mean to go remember who you are and that you're a child of God. Lisa, I think to answer your question in the longest short answer ever, I would say just that they would just pick one thing Mm -hmm. and just try it, try it, see what happens. And this can be done in a group setting too, right? Yeah. So yeah, we've just created um, a leader's guide that goes with that. Just want groups to go through this as well. You know, I actually dedicated the book to our group that we call the, our small group, we call them the kibbutz. Yeah. And we've all talked about, hey, let's just move. Let's just all move out and just live on a kibbutz. And we're all, <laughs> but uh, there have been the people that have been for our marriage and they've really been those people that help us keep our thoughts geared. You know, Lisa, you were talking about how you'll talk to women sometimes who are, you know, they've got friends that are just, they can go sit down with and go, yeah, he is a jerk. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't help anything. Right. Uh, but to have those people around. So, uh, yeah, I really want small groups to do this together. We do everything better together in the body, right? That's right. Awesome. Ted, it's always great to be with you. You make us laugh. You make us feel good every time we're together. So thank you so much for being mm-hmm. on the show. If people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where would you send them? Well, I just do what marketing tells me to do. And marketing <laughs> says go to tedlow.com that they handle. So I, I guess someone's managing that site. Whoever it's marketing not me. is. But no, yeah, I'm like, I'll go on it and go, oh, that looks cool. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not the greatest at this. I drive them all crazy. So I'm trying to obey all the rules. Tedlow.com is where you can find the book and that'll lead you to other resources. Great. Awesome. I'll That's put that amazing. in the notes. Again, the book is called Us in Mind, How Changing Your Thoughts Can Change Your Marriage. 
And I will put the link in the show notes for that book and all the other links. Ted, thanks again, man. Really appreciate your time. It's great to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. You guys keep doing it. I love you guys. I'm so thankful for you both. That was awesome. So Lisa, do you have a name for the Fred in your head? Yes. And I'm surprised you don't know what her name is. I don't. What is it? Susie Bob. (laughs) Susie Bob. I should have guessed that. She's my everything. Yeah. She does talk to you a lot. Yeah. I don't have one for mine, but maybe I need, I do have some voices in my head for sure. Mm -hmm. So I need to actually name. You're probably healthier that you don't have a name for him. Yeah. I probably should name my Fred. So (laughs) thanks again, Ted, for being on the podcast. And thanks for all you listeners for taking the time to listen to the show. We have seen a lot of growth in the amount of listeners these last few weeks. And we know it's because you're sharing it with your friends and family. So thank you. That means a lot to us. And we ask that you continue to tell people about the podcast. Sure does. So if you have any questions or comments about what we talked about today, we would love to connect with you. Email us at our artofspousing.com. You can also message us on Instagram or Facebook. We want to invite you back next week as we head towards Valentine's Day, the love month. That's right. James, you got plans? I'm making them. That's right. James and I are going to talk about how to show your spouse love in an extraordinary way. That's right. We believe it will be super helpful. So we hope you'll join us then. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Art of Spousing podcast. Until then... Bye-bye.